Happening. We are live, Monica Rosenthal, Monica Horan Rosenthal. Horan, Horan. Horan, you know, back, I never knew that. Back in Ireland, it was O'Horan, so Horan. But then when I was a kid, I was like, it's a Horan and a Schlott. So, okay, so it's Horan. Yeah, like Moran. Oh, like Moran. You know what? I've known you all these years. More than <laughs> I must never have said it out loud. You're one of those kids in grade school that make fun of me and say no, Horan. No, no, I thought Horan was nice. Monica Horan. Rosenthal. Okay, we have all kinds of people joining us now, Monica. Hello, everyone. We're not alone anymore, and we're getting love. We're getting love. Hi, everybody. In this world right now. We need a lot of love. We need a lot of love. So Monica, you're you're kind of in the thick of where things were going on. There was stuff going on right by here. And and you guys are investors in Moza. And I heard Moza got Yeah. Yep. It, it there was looting. We were talking to Michael, uh, Michael Krikorian, the journalist who is uh -huh. with uh Life Fighters with, with Nancy Silverton. And he uh -huh. was out in the middle of the night defending and trying to talk reason into uh a lot of looting going on at Melrose Mac, and then of course there at uh, Moza to Go and Chispaca. Uh, very, very scary. But he's he's used to um, being in the thick of it and yeah. and communicating human being to human being. So, so if anybody could handle themselves, he could. Unfortunately, you know, yes, a lot of damage and things were done. The restaurant was not lost, but you know, in the light in light of everything. It's it's that moment, right? We're all in this together. We all have to figure this all out together. And you know, before we even start, you know, the, what all happened around the mayor's residence uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. I know I, we were all watching all the footage. We I did not go out. I have not been out. I have been traveling. I have not really left. I've been quarantining. Right. Um, but I got to see on the news someone that we know very well, Andy Goodman who was a neighbor there who lives close by. Uh -huh. You got to check him out, you guys, what he said. It's just, he he nailed it. He nailed it. What what we all need to be, you know, focused on. Please the tell me. Reality of what this is. Can I play it for you? How, how, uh, yeah, it should work. Are you ready? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so since that was recorded yesterday, 
there's been, they've been arrested. The three right. officers have been arrested. The charge has been increased to second degree murder. Mm -hmm. um, and so somebody got on one of, on my thread where I posted that and said, yeah, as if that's going to make the looting stop or something to that effect. And so, oh, you know, see, see what's, yeah. That's what happened to you. But I want to say that's why I like that he continued the sentence. He said, that's the tip of the iceberg. That is, that's basic, ju basic justice that, you know, it's, of course, it, and looting, it's not about, it is about the looting. My business was looted and I worked my whole life and never, everything is gone aside from insurance and this and that. Just the, what it, it, what's going on within a person to think that that is the next step of something to do. That's a symptom of so much deeper, deep, the deeper issues of the breakdown of services, family, education, and the simple regarding of another human being as worthy, mm -hmm. as equal. And that is what we need to be focused on. I'm not taking anything away from a person who's worked their whole life in a business and everything now has been shattered and destroyed. Do you believe, do you believe that the looting is being done by protesters? Because I personally do not. I don't protest anything to do with this looting. I mean, the friends that I know, again, I'm not there, and no. I'm at the, but when I hear what's happening on the news or mm -hmm. when I hear from my friends, they're stunned. And the young people that I know that I work with in, in arts education and in other, you know, equity nonprofits, you know, nonprofits that work to restore equity or empower leadership from an, within marginalized communities, these people are there and experiencing it. It's... It, it's brutality, like hap what happened at, at, at that church across from the White House. Peaceful demonstrators are being attacked, and there's no way around it. And my, Michael was there, and the, the looters are not being dealt with. And I, honestly, we all just need to educate ourselves as much as possible as to what is going on. Mm -hmm. It's not about my opinion. It's not about anyone else's opinion. It's mm -hmm. about we have to just start gathering our facts and and well, monica show us what you're reading i know you you went you went and run, you ran to get a book that you're reading about racism yeah, i actually bought this book a year ago and oh, wait i can run it out again because so, it's called so so you want to talk about race mm -hmm. this is her, the author and uh just check it out i'm i'm it, it's it's helpful and this this just, just check it out. I can't, I can't paraphrase, can't, can't paraphrase from what she, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tool and it's a, it's a workbook that you can use to just even begin understanding, uh, how to begin the conversation with ourselves first, understanding our own, um, biases or, or, or prejudices that we've, just taken for granted. I mean, look how many things we walk by. We walk by homeless people. We walk by uh, injustice. We we can. I work. I spend a lot of time at Homeboy Industries. We know the result of of the injustice, and yet, you know, we get to a point where we're complacent and we'll accept because that's just the way it is. Well, I think also, Monica, there's some for some of us. It's like, what do I do? What do I do? Right. And so I actually just posted something. It says white people do something. And it's a list of 75 things that we can do. Mm -hmm. 
one by step by step because I need direction. You know, this isn't clear like it was in the 60s when we were marching. Well, you were. And I think it's also taking account to what you are doing. Like, what what is your, what mindset, what beliefs do you have that mm -hmm. you've, um, that you have integrated into your life and into your your thought and how you go about and to, and be have self awareness about that too, because mm -hmm. there it, it's a, there's a lot of listening that has to happen, but there's also a lot of self understanding of where where am I missing the mark and, and what she says almost right off the bat, you're gonna make a mistake. We're gonna make mistakes. We make mistakes in our own families. It's coexistence, you know. Right. right. Being in relationship with people, that's where it starts. Not even that's why I think this movement and what has happened in, in light of George Lloyd's murder is that people are standing together, and that's the most effective. And but of course, it's in a pandemic, in a pandemic where we okay, so let's talk about that for a minute because oh, my kids are out protesting. Harry went out the other day in LA. Samantha went out in Brooklyn and gave supplies to everybody protesting today. And she's she's been very, very active. But there were 19,000 new cases yesterday. There were 20,000 new cases today because people are out protesting. And this is just the first week. What are those numbers going to be in a week from now? It's terrifying. So, but what's what, what do we do? I think that's why it's not going away because I think it's going to become so immediate. You want to come say hello? Yeah. Philip, please. Philip. Your face. Come here. Wait. Hello. He needs to come in for a second. This is Phil Russell. Phil, I have to tell you that I binged. I, I did. I broke the rules. I binged all five episodes. And my, my favorite is Montreal. I have to go now. I am. I, I have to go. Um, I want bagels, but I love them all. Uh, Phil Rosenthal, everybody. And a bunch of people that watched the show last week have told me that they didn't know about your food show and that they have all been watching it and loving it. So wow. you made a lot of fans last week. Thank you. And thank you. And See you later. Bye. What he talks about in that show is, is just this. Okay, we can't, right now we can't travel, we can't be together, but there is um, a worldview and a, and, a, and a perspective that comes from Phil's show. The reason it's a very special show is because mm -hmm. it's demonstrating how to be a person. You know, Philip has a great line. Since when did being kind and, you know, being concerned, having empathy for another human being become political? Red Steiner just said, please know, Phil, I love Monica. <laughs> <laughs> People, we're all in this together. <laughs> you know, it's enough of them. He's he's a very very visible. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> so, good enough person. You know, Brent, I've been trying to get you for years. I'm coming for you. I've been reading your Facebook posts. I'm coming for you, Brent. So 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 and and Brent was talking about his neighborhood. You know, it was happening right in his immediate neighborhood. Like, yeah. So. Monica. And my friends as well. So I have friends who are joining the protest because they live, you know, they, they said, oh, I think that was fireworks. No, I'm tearing up in my apartment. It must have been one of my flash moms or it must be a tear gas. And so it is affecting directly. I live in the Hancock Park area. I live mm -hmm. close to where the mayor is. And someone else said that too. Oh, you're going to be fine, you know. And here's the deal. It's None of us are fine. If everyone's not fine, none of us are fine. We have to figure out a way 
you know, that that said from a place of privilege, that said from a place and, and recognizing that privilege and taking it one day at a time. Monica, as a privileged person, what 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 can what what do you think are the uh, uh, the one on one humanity, the one on one decisions we make? I, I was reading quickly white people do something. And one of the things it said was to buy products from black businesses, mm -hmm. uh, you know, get food from black from black owned restaurants. Mm -hmm. what, what can we do immediately? Give. Of course, we know we can give money. Calm, first of all, take a deep breath and recognize what you're doing. I mean, that I looked at that, you know, like South LA Cafe opened up down, uh, you know, like 42nd Street, downtown, 41st. I'm not quite sure. You can look it up, South LA Cafe. I mean, they opened up, and I was like, that's great. I started supporting them before. There's probably things that you're already doing naturally mm -hmm. that just be aware of that first, I think. It's not like going out and reinventing the wheel. And then it's a lot of listening and then doing it with people that you trust or that you, you know, you, you have these conversations. I think things are happening so much more now is because people are having the conversations. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it'd be like, oh, isn't that terrible? That happened. Now it's like, it's in our face. We are all, heat. we're stuck in our homes if we're fortunate enough to be stuck in our homes or we're going out to work wearing masks and gloves. It's in our face and we are having to deal with each other in different ways. And so maybe that's, you know, this all feels so biblical, doesn't it? I mean, it feels so. Um, I know I'm, we're waiting for the locusts now. Yeah. So I don't know why my phone keeps going off. So, so you've been an activist for a long time. Uh, this is this is not starting for you now. Um, yeah. is one thing, but also you were tremendous supporters of Obama. I know that that you were involved when he was running, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we were fortunate enough to go to the very first fundraiser when he was a senator, and I remember he walked into the room. And there was no one around. Everyone, Michelle had already come. We, we were, everyone was like kind of huddled around. And I looked over and I saw that man walk into the room and my took my breath away, honestly. And that was an energy. It's not, I mean, you could say, ah, oh, he's gorgeous. It was an energy. There was, there, there was an energy. And I respond, I mean, the world responded. And, um, and he was a senator then. So, yeah, we've been very fortunate to be, you know, made aware of, 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 the work he was doing, and, and now we support the Obama Foundation and the work they're doing, the Leadership Center in Chicago. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think there's a, a town hall, like some meeting on Friday. Anyway, yeah, very fortunate, but that's the case in point too. Who embodies the values and the beliefs that you hold? Follow what they're doing and, and learn as much as you can and get in the way that's authentic to you and what you have to offer. Not everybody has the same things to offer. Everybody has something great to offer. And how did your, how did your activism start? I actually read something on Instagram today about your father that was so beautiful. Oh, Yesterday yeah. was the anniversary of his. Yeah. Of his and yeah. and so yeah. you tell that story about your dad and, and yeah. when you. Well, I think you're right. When did activism start? And I think it's when did awareness start or a point of view start? And it did start very, very young for me. I grew up in a grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia, and um, I remember being when I was very, very young, hearing a story about my father. Um, so I was born in 1963. So this probably happened a couple of years before that, when they had just mm -hmm. moved into that neighborhood. And uh, a man that he worked with in Philadelphia, Keystone Automobile. Uh, 
Association, he, um, the guy uh, was black and he invited him to dinner. And when he came to the house, he said to my father, I'm not going in the front door. Uh, I don't want your family to have any problems. And my father, the story went that my father literally dragged him in through the front door. But that was like, Easton, that's not. And, and so I just grew up with that part of the story. Um, and then, of course, I went on to Head Start. My first teacher was an African-American woman. She was in her early 20s. I will never forget her, Miss Horn. I have looked for her. If anyone knows Miss oh. Horn, who taught in Glenold in Pennsylvania, Head Start in like 1968. Um, I'm looking for her. Um, Miss Horn. And, but anyway, when I saw Michelle Obama for the first time, I burst into tears because like Miss Horn, she, that first fundraiser, she was wearing a flip and pearls. Oh. I had a sense memory. So there was that, there was the story, there was Miss Horn. And I went to Catholic school as a child. Um, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. Mm -hmm. Great experience. But something stuck in my head, a fundraiser they had when I was a small child first grade. It was called, hold on to your hats. Things have evolved, God willing, since pagan babies. So you would, it was a oh, fundraising. My. And you, you know, the babies in purgatory that didn't, were not given the gospel. Wow. I was able to purchase and name, adopt a pagan baby. And I, of course, named her Mary Kate. <laughs> anyway. It could have been me. I was a Jewish girl. I was a pagan baby. Well, I got the certificate in the mail. Yeah. And I was so excited. And I, I fact checked this to see if it was a false memory, but I remember a graphic in the corner. There was a little brown baby. There was a little yellow baby. There was oh. a little red baby. And then there was a white, bigger child with a halo and wings. Oh, no. And I remember going, oh. that doesn't seem right. Why? Wait, why? And why? And and if people were born before Jesus or ever, like, I, I was immediate, I was already questioning. So it's wow. not that I became an activist, but I became a critical thinker, I think at a young age. And I saw, but I really did believe the civil rights movement, things had changed, right? Uh, because, and look, Obama was our president. I felt like we were moving in this direction. I was so naive. I, I watched a couple years ago, I watched the documentary 13. You see the documentary 13? Mm -hmm. Such a great education tool, eye opener, and you're ashamed. Like, because in reality, we saw all this information. It just, we knew all these things, but the way it was put together in that documentary it was like, oh no, we haven't done the work. Just like Andy said, we have not, you know, there's been no mediation, there's been no coming to terms with the founding sins of stealing the land and having it built by slavery. Something else that's been so striking to me since this happened uh, with George Floyd is the, um, so many people that I know are posting their stories. And a friend of mine last July, a musician in New York, he has long dreadlocks and he was telling the story how he had come out of his house one day and there were a couple of homeless kids with a dog and white and he went and got them food and the police came back and thought and started to to beat on him. And one was they were telling him to assume the position and he didn't know what assuming the position meant. So he was so scared. So he started to get down. They were like, don't you move. And, you know, like and it, he was terrified for his life in that moment for doing a good deed. And I this know. happens every day, all the time. 
And if you look at that picture, who's in trauma in that story, every single person that's participating in that story is a traumatized human being. When I saw, and, and this is thanks to Father Greg Boyle, Homeboy mm -hmm. Industries, meeting people who have suffered at the hands of police brutality, mass incarceration, inequity, decade of death, crack in the 80s, you know, Nixon signing off, like, let's get, let's let these people kill themselves. Education, inequity, medic, everything, every, you know, not dealing with human beings as human beings, they're other, they're, they're, mm -hmm. different, they're not worth it. And, and how that affects all of us and all of our souls. I saw that man kneeling. I, I thought, that lost soul, that man, that's, I felt for his humanity as as that one man was losing his life and that other man had lost his humanity. It's like, ah, this is for the sake of all of us, but the justice piece and the fact that it's never seen that way and the focus on this looting, it's just very, uh, so what do you say? What do you say to people when they say, "Oh, you know, now that they've they've arrested them, you know, you think the looting is going to stop?" And and uh, you know, yeah, no, it's not. But I remember the converse. You know, the the people I had family members say to me, you know, when we would say, "I'm not buying a Krupp's oven. They made the ovens for the Holocaust because I have Jewish family and." And uh, they said, well, they had the Nuremberg trials, <laughs> as if the Nuremberg trials was ju justice for everything that happened to right. Jews, non-Jews, everyone on the planet during that Holocaust. You know, so it, it, there is a, there's something in human nature to just want it buttoned up and done. And we did that and let's move on. And now they're doing this. And, and if the looting is not taken into context of what all is going on with society and with people. I mean, just even the stores themselves, like, you know, when we have vast swaths of the city that are food deserts and you can't get, and children are getting their meals either at school or in a convenience store, mm -hmm. like there's something sick, we're, we're all sick then because mm -hmm. that's affecting all of us. If, if, there's an, an access gap of, you know, now that everyone had to stay home and Wi-Fi and these, there's so many, you go to Watts, you go to different areas and there's, there's no, what, 10% to have Wi-Fi. It's, it's, it's untenable and it's not, it's only going to hurt and weaken the country, which is why I don't understand this strange us, them, but it's pervasive. It's been around since the beginning of time, but the beginning of our country, unfortunately. So you're so somebody, by the way, if you I'm sorry, when if I keep, I keep glancing to the side because I'm reading the comments and, yes. and somebody else had a pagan baby. <laughs> What's your name? Hey, Debbie, Debbie, what did you name your pagan baby? That's so funny. Oh, my God. Debbie had a pagan baby. Oh my God. Um, so I'm I'm just reading the comments and seeing if anybody has questions because I, I want to pay attention to you and I don't want to be distracted. Every mentality, which is also what our country, you know, I know some guys at Homeboy, everybody assumes they're Mexican. They don't, they're not Mexican. They don't speak Spanish. Everybody and in prison, you, oh man, what they went through because they were indigenous people whose families built the, you know. Gabrainos that built these missions and their language, their culture, their religion was all taken away. And there were many people under the guise of we're helping these people. Mm -hmm. This is a tragic, you know, it's tragic anyway you slice it. By the way, 
This is why comedy is so important. This is why when 9-11 happened, we were supposed to be, that week we were all, Philip and Ray and Doris and everybody was in New York mm -hmm. because we were going to be doing a, a, a Times talk. And Julie Solomon, the writer, Julie Solomon, was going to be interviewing all of us. And so Philip flew out on a, I guess, I can't remember, I guess he went on the, uh, the 9th, uh, you know, the 10th, and I was supposed to fly out the 12th. Mm -hmm. So he was there on 9-11, and I was home, uh, supposedly going to New York. Well, that you know, that the world went upside down. And Julie Solomon, the woman who was going to interview us, told us, wrote to us months later that because she had all the tapes from Everybody Loves Raymond to prepare for the Times talk with the cast, that her family just watched Everybody Loves Raymond and she didn't got him through 9-11. And I've heard that through so many, and I know I have shows too. I have shows... Now Schtissel is getting me through. Oh, I, I finished Schtissel. I, I, I finished it. Yes, I, I've been. I yeah, I loved it. But this is crazy because we would have met all those years ago. Because on 9/11, Gabe and I were on our way to American Airlines to fly to LA to go to Dave Letterman's party, where we would have. Yeah, because yes, because um, because Gabe worked for Letterman, and we were on our way to the airport to go to the Emmys to go to le the Letterman party where we always saw Ray. I don't, I don't think we ever saw you at the party, but anyway, so yeah, we could have met all those years ago, but the importance of, thank God we get to do what we do. I wouldn't have been at an Obama fundraiser. It wasn't the syndication of everybody loves Ray. I wouldn't have a nonprofit. I wouldn't have a whole other focus. And so, it did that upped my also being an advocate. And okay, let's talk about your how that came to pass for you. So, so well, I'm go ahead. I'm the first person in my family to uh, graduate from college. It was not expected that I'd go to college because I was the girl, and you know all of this, uh, you know, women of a certain age kind of stuff. And uh, and so I uh, in in my freshman or sophomore year of high school, I started doing the plays. I dance, I take ballet, but I tried out for the play. They were doing Fiddler on the Roof at Archbishop Prendergast High School. <laughs> and I was chorus. And my friend Kevin Kane was muddle and a fabulous. And he said, you have to join Upper Darby Summer Stage, which is a publicly funded program that's still in existence today. And by the way, Tina Fey, alumni of wow. the summer stage, wow. yes, still a big supporter. I mean, Tom Donaghy, television writer, playwright, also out of summer stage, and Kevin Kane, who became a teacher in LA Unified right when Everybody Loves Raymond was picked up for another season. And we, he created a theater arts program because there was no arts in the public schools in Los Angeles. I'm like, this is a city that's built on a creative, uh, you know, commerce. How could there, how could there be no arts in the public schools? And I had a, they, I had a son who was three years old, and it, 
that's when I first got my eye in what was going on in public education in our phenomenal city of Los Angeles, where all our dreams came true. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, supporting his program, mm -hmm. as did Mark Tierney and a bunch of other friends of ours who had come up together and now wanted to support Kevin's work. He was there for seven years. And at the end of that seven years, the program grew and grew and grew. And we got to be have a front row seat, not only to the incredible talent and the he would create these shows. It's something called devised theater. So the the theater itself, the 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 scene, the dancing, it's the first time I heard um poetry. It's the first time hip hop entered into my uh you know consciousness outside of the fly girls or whatever this was from the street these were the the, the real music and dances and created by these kids the spoken word the um and then he would have them do officer krupke from west side story and you're crying your eyes out because it's kind of their life and they're wow. so hilarious and believe and there was this one woman jackie lopez she was 16 17 years old and i saw her on stage latina woman girl and she, there was something, I felt like we would have been best friends. She was so funny. She could dance like I'd never seen. She could, she was phenomenal. Well, Kevin was offered a, a fellowship to UCLA and the program ended. We wanted to continue it there, but instead we thought let's bridge and let's start bridging these, some of these young people with scholarships and they, to work on his projects at UCLA. And that began something called the Flourish Foundation that I founded with Kevin. And our dream was that eventually the young people that we served from the public school system would run it. Took 10 years, Jackie Lopez is the executive director of the Flourish Foundation, all our staff, and but it's no longer called the Flourish Foundation. Oh, I didn't know that. It's called Versus Style PEC, Performance Education Community, the Versus Style Dance Company, check oh, them out. Say what it's called again? Versa style because of all the style hip hop dance uh -huh. because it, it changed and morphed. And this is where you also learn if you're going to create pipeline, if you're going to have voices from within the community, it's going to take a change. It's, it, it, it was tough for Kevin. He had to let go of what he built to an extent because if you're going to put it in the hands of another generation, mm -hmm. of another culture, need, background, it's going to shift. But what didn't shift was the impact on public schools. They are, I mean, you can go online and check and then they perform at the Ford, which is now everything has changed. But these are young people. We met some in middle school. Mm -hmm. They're their 20s, their 40s, their 50s, they, 20s, 30s, 40s. They, are a they have voice now. They have a seat at the table at LAUSD. They have a seat at the table in Sacramento when there's arts discussions come up about, you know, we, that's, that's the kind of activism. That's not a click on a, on a thing, which is great. It's not a donation. It's not, it's empower, you know, empowering people who don't have access by making sure they have access and we, and then we benefit as well. And we work together as partners as opposed to a hierarchy. I'm doing this for you. No, I, I, you know, have a whole other career as a philanthropist or a, you know, whatever activist because of my work with these young people. And tell us about the Rosenthal Theater. 
Okay, so that started because there was an amazing organization called the Every Child Foundation, West Side, brilliant women, Jackie Castor, who um, who has had a big impact uh, impact on juvenile justice, and particularly in the foster care system. You guys can look her up, Every Child Foundation. You'll see their names all over the city. And they uh, they had introduced me to inner city arts. They did not get the grant. And I was so devastated when that organization didn't get the grant. That's when I stepped in and we renamed the theater, the, the Rosenthal Theater at Inner City Arts because Inner City Arts was at the time uh, supporting, they were supplementing arts since there was no arts in the public schools. They actually were working for many years, 20 years, 30 now with LAUSD to provide arts instruction for schools within a 2.5 mile radius of Skid Row. Mm -hmm. It's right wow. of Skid Row. Wow. Theater is. Yeah. You know, it blows my mind because my kids went to a parent founded school in New York, a little one called Manhattan School for Children. And mm -hmm. I did all the fundraising so that we could pay for a dance teacher, an art teacher, a drama teacher, and a music teacher. And they had all of those things. And when we were moving to LA, I started sitting in classes because I'm a public school advocate and I could not find one school that had an arts program. And I went to school, a school in Burbank, which had a great reputation, a public school. Mm -hmm. And there were hanging from the ceiling, 500 pictures of the same peach that they had drawn. They had all done it like by the number, like they made yeah. the kids all do the exact same. As opposed to the healing aspects of the real education. That's the thing. It's, it's quality arts education. And so you have the California Arts Alliance. You have like, I mean, so I got in that world of mm -hmm. trying to restore the Turnaround Arts is the Michelle Obama program. It's a federally funded program. We've been involved with them, Arts LA. There are so many people working so hard. Frank Geary, huge arts advocate. But until it's systemic and until we have policy change and until we have an administration that values mm -hmm. everyone, it's a deck chair off Queen Mary. I love that I've been able to work with these, but it, it these amazing leaders, teachers, game changers, real game changers. I've been, I've gotten access in my life to so many, and you you never get discouraged because these be so many people are working with such adversity. Father Greg Boyle always says, you know, I could never carry what. These people carry it's, it's humbling. You don't ever sit there patting yourself on the back. I'm so amazing. You're just constantly in awe of what people are able to do. And I have great faith in people, but boy, it's going to take real systemic change. And that's what I try to work towards. And, and in a lot of areas, talk, let's talk about the Deaf West Theater because, again, you you were very yeah. changing. Um, Samantha went and saw that production of Spring Awakening, which was yeah. her favorite show. Yeah. We didn't go because it was Deaf West. We went to see Spring Awakening and her whole life changed. And yeah. she just got, she has a name. Her She has a, a she's, she's um, studying high now. And she just got, uh, yeah. she's a, I do it, always do it wrong, but it's Samantha, it's like hers is like oh, this. So smiley. Smiley. And she just got some sort of certification today, but it was all based from that, the passion for that theater production. Right. So well, how did you get involved in that? Well, again, because I'm right place, right time, resource, access, 
all of these things. These things are happening all the time. But that one, the that particular production lost their, um, they lost the building that they had were going to do the first production in Deaf West. Uh -huh. um, the venue closed, and they said that they didn't give them access. It was going to be in a church, and so they needed a theater. They came to the Inner City Arts Theater. I saw it on the, you know, someone said, oh, by the way, this is going to be at your uh, the theater named for you. And so I went and saw it. And then I heard another producer dropped out. I had nothing to do with it creatively. I take no credit. My only involvement was I got to see this incredible production. I got to participate and support 20 people making their Broadway debut. Oh. The majority of them with you know a di differently abled and so uh -huh. there you go um there's always opportunities there's always and that's a flashy one you know it's nice to have a flashy one and and i love theater more than anything but i'll tell you something the people that are doing this work i'll, I'll tell you a very quick story about the rosenthal theater in this t time of covid so of course the theater shut right yeah uh and there's a guy now who who runs it and, and you know the president Bob Smiland, who was incredible advocate for children, and this Michael Sample, who is now the artistic director of the theater, he said we we, we don't have any relationship really with the children in the missions, and he had just started spending time and developing a relationship with the Union Rescue Mission. Long story short, COVID happened. They they didn't have capacity for several families. And Michael and Bob made sure, and the incredible staff who worked tirelessly, they moved in, I want how many families was it? I want to say it was seven families. They were living in the theater, all families intact, 20 children from the age of one month to teens. And not only were they living there, they were getting movie nights. There's, there's this they were up, they were healing during this horrible time and the and the union rescue mission was able to place them and the families are all now but it was like a way station wow and during very dangerous times i mean they were putting like their their health was at risk i mean they're these frontline people you know they're out there and so just finding who's doing what and and do it philip says this always is true i happen to have a lot of interests so it goes to a lot it makes it a little unwieldy at times and I talk too much, but I will say that's what you do. So you don't have to fly, you know, you don't have to go into a shelter and to house a kid. You don't have to, but anything that you authentically love and feel passionate about, you just dig a little bit and you're going to find something that you can make a difference for somebody else. And then by making that difference for somebody else, you make the difference for yourself. It's just the natural way of being a person. And okay. everybody, right? So let's so let's go back to Monica. Let's 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 get back to uh, to how uh, how things moved for you. So how did you get to Hofstra? What made you go to Hofstra? Which changed? <laughs> so my friend Kevin King. I know I must have him up there somewhere. Well, somebody there. asked if that's Anne Frank behind you. Like we can't. Yeah, Anne Frank. I have Anne Frank and Harriet Tubman. They're my. Oh, Harriet. I know you're feeling and better. Angle and Judy Toll. Oh, and Lynn is watching, by the way, Lynn said the productions at your theater are like Broadway shows. They're amazing. I mean, there's been incredible work done. Richard Cabral did a one man show called Fighting Shadows. That was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. I mean, there's been a lot of 
really cornerstone theater company is, has been in there. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Okay, so so you went to Hofstra because of your friend. Yes, because my friend Kevin, who told me to join Summer Stage and who told me to take my SATs and who told me. <laughs> and he ended up being, that's why I related to all these kids so much. He was their teacher, their mentor. He now runs the Visual and Performing Arts Education Department at UCLA. So I was like one of those kids. Okay. <laughs> I followed him to Hofstra my sophomore year. My first year, I lived at home. I worked three jobs. I, I went to a local Penn State campus, right? And then my sophomore year, I went to Hofstra. You went to a local Penn State campus? Uh-huh. Lima, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. And then, but then I got, and I got a scholarship and I got this. So I went to Hofstra. And I... Uh, that's not where you met Phil, even though you're both Hofstra graduates. That's not where you yeah, met Phil. If I went my freshman year, I would have met Philip. He was a senior when I was a freshman. So he graduated. I moved in. And then after we graduated, I have something on me. I feel like I do. Oh, <laughs> this is people. Look at this. This is no work. This is well. No. <laughs> it's so sad. Oh, you look fabulous. Stop. Anyway. Somebody said, why don't you put tape on the back of your neck? And I just never um, do it. I got it popped off. And there you go. It pops off. Yeah. So anyway, Hofstra, I, uh, this is the problem, but I'll try to be quicker, but I, I, we're good. No, after we graduated, my friend, Tom wrote the play. My friend, Kevin directed it. We all put in a hundred bucks. We produced it. Phil Rosenthal came to see it. And he sent a message to my friend saying, <laughs> tell that girl, she's really funny. <laughs> Then fast forward, I meet him at the Ninth Avenue Food Fair. Oh, how fitting. Holding a rib. <laughs> Little did I know that was my future. <laughs> and he said, oh, hi. Oh, yeah. And they're like, you know, Monica, you saw that. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of yours. First thing he said to me. <laughs> so I lied and said, I'm a big fan of yours, too. Because <laughs> I had seen him in the play. In Hofstra, a place at Hofstra, and he was kind of a star at Hofstra. And they were like, oh, my God, Phil Rosenthal, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. And so I'm like, yeah, you're really great. But I've never seen him or anything. And then he recommended me for a play. We did the play together. We were both actors. And we that's what we did. And we were in New York City, and I thought that would be our whole life. And then he, uh, I had a friend that he started writing with. He came to New York. It came to okay. Wait, before you came to LA, how was your life as an actress in New York? Because I know Phil was working at Nelly and Phil was doing all kinds. Yeah, I, was, I worked at Total Charge. I never got an agent. I, I I did, but I was a part of a comedy group. So we we played the ballroom and Paulson sketch comedy, which uh -huh. was my dream. I went to Carol Burnett. Then the real dream came true, and I got cast in my very first off Broadway play. Thanks to my friend Elizabeth Dennehy, who also went to Hofstra <laughs> audition. And I got my equity card doing Vampire Lesbians of Sodom by Charles Bush. Yeah. Dream come true. Big, and it was. It was like being in vaudeville, which was where I, I I loved that world. And I had the greatest time. And I was in that. I 
until I moved, I left and then moved to LA and then the play came to LA. So I got my first agent in LA because we played the Coronet Theater with Vampires with Charles and Julie Halston, all the greats. Okay, so then, so you guys came to LA and so how, so what happened for you after that? Were you, you were really it felt like nothing. I look back now and I'm like, well, I had a little recurring on General Hospital. I had a little, I did, um, I still always put me to show, put me in down the shore. I did an episode of that. I did, you know, my first television job was reporter number one on LA Law. You know, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. It was rough. It was rough until I met Judy Toll. <laughs> My beloved Judy, who passed, oh man, how many years ago? 11. Who passed at 44. She had melanoma, but we had a sketch comedy show that Phil directed. And I was so happy being back on stage. And we were this close to go. We thought we were going to go to the comedy festival and, and Sundance. Is that where it is? Where's that comedy festival? Obviously, we didn't go. And just I go to the one in, in Canada, not Canada. There's one in Canada, just for laughs. Aspen, Aspen Comedy Festival. Okay. And that's when Judy was like, I can't do this anymore. I got to write, I got to make it. So she ended up being a consultant on Sex in the City. She used to, she wrote on Boy Meets World. And I thought, wow, I'm done. I think I, I, I'm not, I, I hate the stuff I audition for. I never feel right. I, I had, you know, I had a son. I, I was at a crossroads and I didn't know what was going to be. And now all that time that I had done theater, because I'd done other plays outside of what I did with Judy, a script came in to Everybody Loves Raymond because they had just started that show. And that was a big deal for our lives too. Phil had a lot of pressure. The first year was not easy. I think he shared about that. Mm -hmm. And so I was wife, mother, I was like, you know, my life was the family. And did you, how, how were you in that role, Monica, when you, when you became the wife and the mother and the supporter? Yeah. Were you aching for the other thing or were you fully immersed? But I wasn't, I was definitely, I was definitely, I remember saying to Maggie Wheeler, this is so hard because I want to do this, but I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do it. And Phil was never, that never would have happened with, by the way, if it was just Phil. Love him. He's great. Big fan of mine. I know it. But it was, thanks. It was really, it was Steve Scrovan. Steve's a, yes. And it was a woman named Carol. Oh, Carol. Carol. I can't remember your last name right now in this moment. She wrote a script because there's a Writer's Guild rule that you have to submit, you have to take an outside script. Uh, one a, a season. Uh huh. This script had a friend of Amy's, a friend of Deborah's that a that named Amy that um, Robert goes on a date with, and Steve Scroban, I love this said, "Why don't you bring in Monica?" And I was like, "Yeah, all right." And it was supposed to just be one shot, but the story was that we didn't tell anybody because I used my name, Monica Haran. Of course, the writers who knew me knew and things like that, but the network didn't know. That would have been weird. You know, oh, my wife's doing this part. Right, right. Then the word was that, you know, they thought we had funny chemistry and they said, why don't you bring that character back? So Carol, every, yeah, that, that was Carol's character. 
and right. to come back. And so that was only the ninth episode. So I was back. I was, I was in at all nine seasons. And mm. that was a life changer because, first of all, Phil at home, like everything was, he was Raymond. Like, oh, I don't know how to do it. Uh, <laughs> not competent or capable in the least. And so I could go to work and watch him be a rock star. Like he was the greatest showrunner, the greatest. Um, I mean, it. I loved being on that show. And if things were ever tense or something, people were like, oh, like if I wasn't getting something and it was getting tense, Patty would be like, oh my God, just like that. I'm like, never. I loved it. I loved it because I always knew he was right. I mean, I, I knew he would make me better. I knew the shows serve. It was such, it was so strong. And the shows were as great as they were right? because of that cast. Can we talk about Fred for a minute? Oh my God. Oh, Fred. Fred, Catherine. Yes. Georgia. Georgia. Oh my God. So many people gone. Doris. I mean, so many people gone. Oh my God. And Doris, you know, I was, sure. so, I didn't know Robert Culp really. I mean, but all those people were such great. I mean, they were so great. And the, and the main cast was so great. So the fact that I had, was able to like drop in and then also be Phil's wife and be able to have that helpful with the marriage, you know, that was nice. And for our family and for our friend, I mean, it was just such a blessing, like crazy, life-changing. So, um, but that cast and Fred, I mean, what, what a dream and Georgia being cast as wow. my mom. I mean, cause that, she's based on my mom, you know, I know your mom. <laughs> I know. So you do, you've seen her, but you can yeah. see it. You would see the two of them together. Oh my gosh. I think I have seen them together actually mm -hmm. at a movie night. Yeah. Yeah. And it is amazing to see like the TV version of your mom and then have <laughs> Georgia Engel. And then George and I became very, very close. But a lot of people don't real didn't realize because she had the voice, you know, she talked like that, and she was so, you know, Georgette, and she got that whole like she was a br brilliant comedian, obviously a brilliant actress, a brilliant stage actress, mm -hmm. actor who had major playwrights writing roles for her, and she wow. she was an exceptional talent. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's going to we're. we're putting together now a playwriting prize for Georgia. I don't know. Oh, I'm probably not allowed to say that yet. Shush. I'll talk we about that. We, we, we didn't hear that. Quickly, quickly, no. quickly though, like Annie Baker wrote John inspired by Georgia. Georgia was in her uh, Uncle Vanya at South uh, at Soho Rep with um, Michael Shannon. Oh my, God. oh my gosh. I mean, Georgia was a heavy hitter. I mean, she was really, really phenomenal and a deeply spiritual uh unique human being. So she became a huge mentor for me and a member of all of our family. So it was a huge loss. Fred also, we got so many letters because we have this movie night and Fred loved the movie night. And, mm -hmm. Mary, and so many people were grateful that they got to see Fred and Mary because they would come to movie night. So oh, that would be me. Yeah. Um, so, so after Raymond, you, you started doing, were you doing theater the whole time? You weren't doing theater during Raymond. I assume you had no time to, but you certainly were doing. No, I couldn't. Oh, no, no, no. No, oh. I, I didn't get to do any theater for years. And um, how did you dip your toe back in? Raymond was like doing theater. 
you know, yeah. because those the play, the scripts were so tight. Other mm -hmm. sitcoms, they would, you know, change. I, I did an episode of In the House with LL Cool J and John. Debbie Allen. That script, I was hired as like a neurotic, like Diane Keaton type. And by the end of the week, I was Mary Poppins with the British accent. <laughs> I would have been fired if I couldn't do a good enough fake British accent. So wow. That's that funny? Let's see if we can find that from archive in the house. So, so how did, how did you, was it scary to start going back to theater? Like, how did you, how did you make I, that transition? I've seen you on stage since. I was so lucky again, because that, um, the, and I say lucky because I was able to also really full-time immerse myself in my foundation work and my family life. And I'm very, was very involved. You know, my mom was sick the last three years was elder care and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But I always got to have these little moments where something would. You're, you're also very caring with Phil's parents and very still acts and, and you were with Helen as well. So the theater right after the show ended, was mm -hmm. uh, there was a play at the center theater group called different words for the same thing and the casting director called me and i got to do that play and that was it was scary at first i really was nervous about it um but it was a great play and i was so grateful for the opportunity then i thought I just get to do that i thought i'm just going to do theater i'm going to go anywhere and but the, you know life happens and things switch and you did gypsy after that in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I did gypsy at the Arden Theater in Pennsylvania, which is my heart. I love people saying hi. I love that Arden Theater. It's a, and all the regional theaters, I mean, God bless what everybody is trying to figure out to do to keep theater alive. We need it. It's our life's blood. Um uh, and they do an amazing job. But I got to do that production. I was Tessie Tora, Gypsy. <laughs> and uh, that was really by the grace of Terry Nolan and Amy Murphy, who um, founded that theater. And Terry Nolan was my prom date um, in wow. 1980. Oh, that's so crazy. And, and then they started that theater company. They reminded me. They were like, come and join. Like, we're going to have a theater company. And I'm like, I have to go to New York. <laughs> So it was kind of full circle going home. and uh, But then I also got to live with my mom as she was declining with dementia and mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. And um, so I, it was a great opportunity. It was like kind of like experiencing our town. You know, Emily, can I just mm -hmm. go back for one day? I got to go back for two months. It wow. was like going back in time. I was doing a play. My, mother's, my mother thinks she saw it three times. She thinks that she saw it three times. She saw it 16 times. <laughs> Love losing memory. I would always say, I think that was your best one. <laughs> oh, well, isn't that wonderful, though? And she's amazing so supportive. Experience, amazing experience. So, and that's how I, because with dementia, you've got to be there. You know, they, first of all, as it's, as it's coming on, mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of energy going into acting as if it's not covering and they and and so if you're three thousand miles away or like my brother and my sister an hour away with busy lives and kids and all these responsibilities you don't really know what's happening unless you're there and mm -hmm. she did not want to come and live with me she did not want to go and live with 
my siblings. So I had to go there and I so, did. And so that was, so that was a few years ago. So now how, how I, you were just on the phone with her right before we went. Yeah. 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 Who knows who you are as soon as she hears. Oh, yeah. your voice. Yes. It's a strange, she doesn't remember anything really from one minute to the next, but um, she has a boyfriend. I love that. She's so content and happy. Oh. And she'll say, she, you know, the, the repeating, whereas for a year it was, I don't understand why I'm not in my house. And we had to get a little creative. We said there was mold. You had to leave. Because you can't say, I could repeat over and over that there's mold. I can't repeat over and over that you're losing your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to be very creative. And that became a very creative experience because you have to improvise. You can't, you don't say, what, don't you remember? You have to learn, you know, you have to learn to honor what they're saying mm -hmm. and not humiliate. It's so hard and you fail often. <laughs> so now, if she and her boyfriend both have Alzheimer's. It's similar. So the families, we talk to each other. Uh-huh. We brought them to weddings. Oh, I have such a cute picture of them. Um, oh. They they dance can dance on the day. They don't forget each other, and they don't forget they don't forget that they didn't always live there. They both remember that, but it's starting to go. They they do this thing. It's almost like a brilliant mind. You find notes all over the plate, like it's that trying to grasp onto reality. And this COVID thing with not being able to visit, I feel so bad. You know, parent, I, I, we all are going through the same thing. My mother's alone in New York. It's horrible. It's yeah. Well, I'm very lucky my sister's close by. You know, there's always ways, right? There's always right. things you figure it out. Every family. Every now, family. Wait a minute. Is she allowed to be with her boyfriend in quarantine? Because they're in the same facility. They're in a, uh, you, did you ever hear of Sunrise? I found it, by the way. Thank you, Joan London. A place for mom. It, it, I had a criteria because I have a sister who lives five minutes away. I mean, it, it worked out so well because she's feels she did not want to live with people. this is there's another great book people it's called being mortal mm -hmm. guala tole is that how you say the name being mortal that was helpful to me because it's and i and this is for right now right there will be a time when i'm able to bring her out here but it for now it's almost like you recreate a set so they have their own dishes, their own furniture. Roger sits in daddy's chair, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, wait, so they are they in the same apartment within the... Well, they, he has his own apartment, but he stays over. Okay, so now I... So the rules are a little different because Phil was telling us that with Max, yes. he's not allowed to leave his apartment. No, and it's because that the agreement had been made that they were happy they would go. So he, when the quarantine went out, he was pretty much staying there. So he was already there, even though he had the apartment. So he, when they, he couldn't leave, the family, the people could bring his things up to her room. So that I see. I see. Wow, that is that. That's very it's romantic. Kind of special. And you get on the phone with them, and they laugh. And I, they reran. I used to. I was on the Bold and the Beautiful for. I had like a story arc with Jim O'Hare. And because of COVID, they couldn't read it. They reran it. So I called my mother. And I had the, I asked the people that worked there because they had offered this. They said they will go in with an iPad, wipe it down, whatever, and you could FaceTime. This uh -huh. was a few weeks in. 
Uh-huh. Got to FaceTime with the care, one of the workers from Sunrise and my mother and Roger while she was watching. And she was so confused because I would be on this screen and then I'd be on the <laughs> so oh. Like to look at her go, no, and she would forget it was happening. There'd be a commercial and I'd say, hey mom, look up, I think I'm on there. Well, I'm looking at you on the screen. Look at that screen. She'd be like this, you'd oh, oh, oh. And she'd just Oh my God, I love it. Somebody just asked, Cindy Beagle actually, Cindy used to write on all the Gary Marshall shows on Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and stuff. She asked, is there an episode of Raymond that you could share with us that was based on your life? Okay, so we know, Phil already shared the one, I, well, I know that, PMS. that, oh, I didn't know about, no, I don't know about the PMS. Tell us the PMS. I don't know about this Wait, one. This is a good one because okay. it's called Bad Moon, Bad Moon Rising. <laughs> Patricia Heaton is so brilliant. I mean, she's always brilliant, but this episode, oh my gosh. I didn't know about it because I wasn't in that one. Mm -hmm. So I was in the one after they, what they would do is they'd shoot it. And then when you were shooting another episode, they'd show the previous episode to the audience while it's right. raining, while you're in the makeup chair. <laughs> They're watching the, last, the previous episode that was shot. Uh-huh. And so the episode starts and I'm in the makeup chair and we it's on the monitor. And I hear lines that came out of my mouth. Like, you know, he would always say, yeah, why don't you take some, my dog? Why don't you take some? And I'm like, did you ever try hugging me? <laughs> this is not huggable. With him. Oh, um, uh, and another one that's kind of true. There's other things, but the thing that was really amazing was the way it, the way it resolved. And I cried and I said, you get it for television. Why can't you get it? <laughs> another true one was the can opener, which is very funny because it's a Rashomon kind of one. Like he said, she said, mm -hmm. and that really happened. I bought my friend's son was selling you know, for a school fundraiser, and I bought a can opener. Mm -hmm. and he was such a baby that, and, and he tried to open it. It was like, oh, oh, it's like, you're an idiot. And I was probably, you know, PMSing or something. And I started crying. I'm not stupid. I can buy a can. Opener. I don't know. So embarrassing. But every most of the store, all most of the stories came from one of the writers, one of the rides. But those are the two that. And so when you when you first hear it, I mean, you ended up with tears in your eyes because it resolved beautifully. Yeah, because I felt hurt. Like a betrayal that like your words are coming out like. But even but Ray's words actually got me most because it's what I would have wanted Phil to say. Phil <laughs> wrote it with Ray, so Anna, I'd be like, they get it for television, <laughs> but they wouldn't say that to us necessarily. But. They're good men. No, we're very, you know, we're good women and they're good men. So Monica, so some of us who, a lot of the, the people who watch the show, we call ourselves the COVID crazies. Do you have, uh, what, what's your like COVID experience? Like how, yeah. how are you facing this? Well, you know, I was gone like for three years. So my mother-in-law, as you mentioned, had, um, we didn't know she wasn't diagnosed until last February, but she had mm -hmm. ALS. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, a declining thing and every it just 
I, I kept having to go back for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. you know, covering and Phil and Richard, his brother work on the show. So I've been, go- I hadn't been home a lot for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, March, this is the longest I've been actually in my home. So I've, it's been very good that way. And then my kids are close by, you know, Lily graduated. We had an amazing how did, how did you do? I know she graduated from USC. How did how did they do it? They uh, well, they did an amazing job online. They did an incredible and her. So they had the the one in the morning where if you can if you can get it online, I don't know if you can, but Rain uh, is it Rain Wilson from the Office? Uh-huh. Uh, he gave such a beautiful little speech in the morning to the USC. You know, just people called in with messages. I believe he went to USC. Um, and then, so we watched that in the morning and then there was, a, then we did our own graduation on the front lawn. Phil gave the commencement speech. <laughs> he does that very well. Um, and uh, my son, Ben was like the provost announced her name, <laughs> the speaker gave her the diploma and his girlfriend Delaney played pomp and circumstance on the violin. Lily had gotten a costume for 25 bucks online the, of a cap and gown. So we did the whole thing. And then we surprised her with the drive-by and then a family Zoom. And then they had the the department graduation. And the the guy from uh, who, who did Crazy Rich Asians, who was a USC grad, spoke. And in the middle of his speech to them, said, you know, when I graduated from USC, Ron Howard was my commencement speaker. And he said the most powerful thing. And then he goes, Ugh, I'm botching it. Ron, can you help me out? And Ron ah, Howard. Nice, nice. Well, you know, like Papa extraordinary. So it was great. You've got the young graduate filmmaker and the wise, you know, dad, amazingly articulate, beautiful speech. So I have to say, and we were all together. So mm-hmm. That's we're, we were very very lucky. Not you know many. She was devastated at first, mm-hmm. but by the end of it, she felt good. And but not a lot of kids did. I think it's been a very this the class of twenty twenty is going to be an incredible group of people. Mm-hmm. How what's your level of personal concern? Like are you are you COVID crazy? Like you're. I know you guys get takeout pretty much every night. Yeah. Well, Phil, you know that's supporting the restaurant. Once he heard that the restaurants w- wanted it, needed it, and if you right. God, forget it. I mean, that's it. I mean, I'm very, I'm putting on a few. Uh, <laughs> now we're eating very well, very lucky in that regard as well. I'm trying to curb my drinking enthusiasm. It's <laughs> now, does it make you nervous to like, t- like, are yeah. you nervous about the packaging and how do you handle yeah. like, So what do you do right now? Just even talking about it, I got to do a little... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am. I am. Well, I was very nervous when we first came back because I had been in New York and Pennsylvania and I had been on a plane, train, subways, rental cars oh. back March 14th. Oh, yeah. I was positive we were going to be sick. So I was very concerned about getting other people sick. I was concerned that I'd left my father-in-law. I, you know, that thing, should we bring him back? He didn't want to. He was just starting to get settled where he was. Right. So that first month was anxiety, guilt, fear of getting sick, but more worry about the world. Like what, what are the people doing at homeboy? Like what are the people doing with the kids in school, the homeschooling people? Like we were, 
the fact that we were past even the graduation. What about the kids who were going to apply to school? You know, just what about our country? <laughs> so the first, you know, that, yeah, that's, I, we get up in the middle of the night, right? And we have like major anxiety. I pray a lot. I'm a very spiritual person. I was raised Catholic. I can say the Hail Mary in Latin. I can say the <laughs> I can say the I'm like, I'm a Catholic Jew. Well, I've got I converted to Judaism too. I didn't know that. Huh? You converted to Judaism. We didn't even touch on that. I know, right? But that's because you could be reformed and you could question. And it was tough for me with Catholicism. I would have, if there was a reformed Catholic, I mean, I would, I loved my nuns. I love religion. I love ritual. I love Stissel. <laughs> Isn't he fantastic? He has got the face in the world. Every one of them. I know. People. Oh. Yeah. And it's so great too, because it's, I'll be honest. When I first saw that, you know, it's an aesthetic that is so specific. And if you've had any dealing with people that has been in remotely negative, your all your shit comes up like ugh, those people. You know what I'm telling you? Mm -hmm. And and it's like all people. We're mm -hmm. all and the way they handle and the way the tradition works for them, the way the tradition works against them, the way the it's all of us. Mm -hmm. But you know, and that's like what Phil always said. You know, the more specific you are, the more universal you are. Mm -hmm. and, there is something about the way they write the show and the acting is so spectacular mm -hmm. that you don't have to have ever encountered you. You can apply so much to our struggles as, you know, being parents, people, yeah, artists, mm -hmm. artist stuff is amazing. So, okay. So as far as artist stuff goes, before we wrap here, is there, is there still a dream for you? Oh, wait a minute. We didn't talk about you. Yeah. Okay. We have to tell right. this really fast, people. Really, really fast. I see. I, anyway, I, I, uh, I hope I answered questions. All right. The um, so when I was in the middle of the parent caretaking after like the three years, I started thinking I'm done. I think I'm never going to act again. I I had had a couple auditions, put myself on tape for stuff, didn't get it. Um, was really anxious to thinking, I don't know how to work anymore. I don't know how to, and I was talking to Judy Gold on Erev Yom Kippur. <laughs> and we had just been to shul and I was back at my mother-in-law's and I was sitting with Judy and I said, I think I'm done. I think I'm, I'm not going to act. I think I must, this must be my calling. I must be doing this other stuff. She said, call my acting teacher. The acting teacher was Kay Michael Patton. The last time I saw Kay Michael Patton, 1986 to work on a monologue to audition for the Yale School of Drama. I wrote her an email. She said, come to scene study. That scene study class for all through the rest. My mother-in-law, by the way, is going to make me cry. But I told her I was going to this class and she couldn't, you know, she couldn't walk at this point. She couldn't talk. Every ounce of it looked like her, her arm was going to fall off. She went like this. Nice. So I went to the class and oh, I. Wait, what sparked yeah. you to decide you were going to go? To, you wanted to go to Yale. What? What? what well, the Yale thing. I don't know. I think I couldn't. It, it was something that flew out of my mouth. It was the idea that I couldn't concentrate. I wanted I, this idea of being airlifted out, and I think the Yale, which is like the goal, it's like the Holy Grail. You know, right. like it's, it's like Bally High <laughs> of, of actors and. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't have training. The reason I wanted to go, the what reason I applied that first time. And of course, when I did Vampire, Adam, my co-star had gone to Yale. And she was like, what? You have to audition again. I'm like, no, I auditioned. I didn't get in. She goes, nobody auditions once and gets in. At least three times. <laughs> but then it was like money and life. And I couldn't. Yeah. But, but now I thought, you know, and what Yale represents and my work with with arts education and well, how are you going to go to Yale though? How were you even going to, I didn't know. I didn't think all, I didn't even think if I'd get, I didn't even think I'd be able to. So I went online. So, mm -hmm. so I, it was more about, I needed something and it was a secret. I didn't tell Phil. I didn't tell a family. I didn't tell, no. I didn't tell anybody that I was going to apply. Right. But the application was very extensive and everybody should do this by the way. Everybody should apply to grad school just to, even if you don't send in the application, because what you have to do to fulfill the application is so rigorous. Wow. You have a statement of a statement of purpose. Think about that. A statement of purpose. I was going to be 57 years old. What's my statement of purpose? I've had this life that's been all over the place. All this caretaking coming to an end. In and next chapter, statement of purpose, letters of recommendation. Amy Aquino, Jerry Zachs, my friend Terry Arden from the uh, Terry Nolan from the Arden. Then I had to do monologues. I hadn't done a Shakespeare monologue in thirty some years. I, I didn't even know if I'd be able to memorize a Shakespeare monologue. I did Tracy from Sweat, a play by Lynn Nottage, who went to Yale. I worked with my wow. acting teacher. I drove my mother, and I did my Shakespeare. Mon I did my. I would do my monologues what in the Shakespeare car. Did you do? Say again, Shakespeare, Amelia from Othello. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the um, let's see if mommy can focus. Um, I do think it is their husband's fault since wives do fall. <laughs> My mother's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and Sweat too, which is about, oh, that's a great play. Check it out, read it. It's good, it's good just to read. Um, anyway, the, uh, the experience was amazing, preparing for it. I got in by the deadline. I told Phil on New Year's Eve, I have an audition on February. <laughs> Long story short, I had a phenomenal weekend in Yale. I did not get accepted to the Yale School Zone. I was the only oldie. I will say there was a lot of talk about like diversity. <laughs> I was the only oldie. <laughs> and it, I got a kick out of it though, man. I, I kind of had a, a part of me thought, I'm going to get this. This is going to be my next chapter uh -huh. i'm going to bring all the parts of me to this work and then when that didn't happen it was there was a little relief <laughs> there was a little fear but then as i thought my this is life is grad school we're always learning we're life learners and so it doesn't mean you stop it just means that you don't have somebody else's curriculum you don't have somebody else's thumbs up thumbs down you got to break yourself so i I'm grad schooling it up. So, so are you still motivated to, to do more theater? Oh yeah. This will help us people. Um, yeah. My dream, my dream is to do yeah. theater again. Absolutely. Um, it's that how though, how, when I'm doing so many different things, you know, I got to the amazing, amazing opportunity through homeboy industries to work with Jane Fonda. We were working together for a civics program for homeboy and right when i had to go to new york for my mother-in-law i had a decline 
and Phil was going, and Richard were going to go off and shoot the show. Mm-hmm. Jane was like, I can't, I'm going to DC. The climate change, climate change, and I'm doing this fire door Friday. I mean, the woman, it talk about grad school. She's a life learner. Unbelievable. She's an advocate, and she is so smart. Like she, mm-hmm. she's like the bar, you know? Like I, I follow her, I listen to her, she's so articulate. Um, yeah, grad school is all around us and it never ends. And you just find your great teachers, right? You find your great passions and educate yourself. And that's what I'm trying to do now. And someday I want to be in a damn play. <laughs> well, I've seen you in a damn play and you were damn wonderful. And I hope and I'm sure you'll get to do whatever you choose to do. But I want I want to thank you for all that you do. Um, you're a power of example and so inspiring. And you make it look easy and you make it look fun. And that helps a lot, too. So um, I'm I'm so glad that we finally did this. I've been trying thank to get you to do this for like years and years and years. Yeah. Oh, thank you um, for all you do and giving all this voice to so many amazing men and women. And we just, you know, when you asked me all those years ago, you'd never know it. I was very quiet. I was very, it's hard to articulate a lot of this stuff. And you give people the opportunity to figure that out. And it's an important thing to do. we got to find our voices. And I appreciate all the listeners for being patient and like, you know, sticking with and asking questions. And I appreciate the opportunity for my grad school lecture. <laughs> Thank you so much, Monica. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait till we see each other in person again. Yeah, I know. Soon. It's going to happen. Humanity will out. Humanity will out. See you well, everybody. Good night, everyone. See you soon. See you tomorrow. Bye.